Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. We've had an incredibly busy month with For the Ladies clinics in San Diego, San Francisco, and Champaign, Illinois. So before we get into the professional golf news, I wanted to share something really exciting. We are going to be hosting our second golf getaway called Hearts and Darts. Why Hearts and Darts? Because we'll be playing Stream Song Red and Black November 12th through 14th in Florida. You can find all the information and details at ForTheLadies.net and go to our events golf getaways page. November at Stream Song is supposed to be so nice and I know I'll want a nice escape to the warmth. If you happen to miss our Pinehurst event last March, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved and not have any FOMO about missing out on a women's golf event. Okay, now for the golf news. Since our last podcast, there have been two major champions crowned on the women's side, a U.S. Women's Open and a KPMG Women's PGA Championship champion. So first, Yuka Sasso won at the Olympic Club to become the first male or female to win a major hailing from the Philippines. She idolizes Roy McIlroy and his swing, and she got to meet him at Torrey Pines leading up to the men's U.S. Open. She's a star. She's truly a superstar in the Philippines. She had her face on a building after her win and so much coverage. So I can't wait to see what else she does and how she affects golf in the Philippines. And then last weekend, Nellie Corda won the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, her first major victory. And you knew she was going to get one eventually. She just came off a win at the Meyer, um, and she just became number one player in the world. And this is the first American to hold that spot since Stacey Lewis in 2014. Nellie has won three times this season, and it's been so much fun to watch her really dominate on the course. The KPMG Women's PGA also was the final event before naming the U.S. Olympic golf team, and that is going to include Nellie and her sister Jessica Corda, as well as Danielle Kang and Lexi Thompson. Certainly a strong group for the team, excited to cheer on Team USA. It's just great to have golf in the Olympics and have it on a, on a major stage, a global stage. Okay, For today's interview, we welcomed Kristen LeCount, who is General Manager and Chief Operating Officer at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. The 2022 U.S. Open will be played at the Country Club, and Kristen's team is critical to making the major a success. Kristen is the first female to hold the GM position at the Country Club, and she's worked her way up from Assistant Manager to the highest role at the club. We talked about her journey, the importance of mentorship, and preparing for a major championship returning to the country club. I hope you guys enjoy. Oh my goodness, that is a new notification for me. That's a Zoom update all day long. Way to go. (laughs) Very professional over here for the ladies. Um, Okay, well, I'm going to start with your quick nine. Okay. Your favorite social media channel? I follow four accounts on LinkedIn, so I'm not even qualified to answer that question. Last show? Instagram. Four accounts on Instagram. So I did. I upped my game last year. Good job. Yes. Nice. (laughs) Last show that you binge watch? The Americans. Mm. The last book you read? Becoming. Michelle Obama's book. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your favorite dish to cook? when you have time? So that's a loaded question because I do have a culinary degree. So, um, and with the dad as a chef, you name it, I'll cook it. Uh, I don't think there's like a go-to necessarily. I think when you're, when you're that trained, it's, it's hard to just pick one thing. (laughs) 
Fair enough. Yeah, I get it. Um, what's the most recent song that you added to a playlist? If we're my, if we're only my playlist, it would be anything by Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. But if I'm being honest in this, it would have to be Vacation by Alvin and the Chipmunks because my children are obsessed with that movie right now. Yeah, I get that though. Like your playlists are your children's playlists. It's all one and the same. One and the same, exactly. And you know what's great? When your six and four-year-old can sing Grace Potter and the Nocturnals or they can they can jam to Alvin and the Chipmunks, so. Right, something for everyone. <laughs> um, what's one of your biggest lessons I learned through the pandemic? I think, I mean, generally I'm a person who tries to keep perspective and I think for sure in the pandemic, it's been, you know, not, I'm probably sitting here because I landed a job, my dream job in the middle of a pandemic. So it yeah. was, you know, everyone's talking about all their silver, silver linings and those types of things. But I think for family and, you know, personal and professional life, it's been being really grateful for the things that we do have and keeping the things in perspective. And I think I'll probably carry that with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> You may have alluded this to this a little bit, but if you weren't working in the golf industry, what would you be doing? Great question. I, well, one side of me always wanted to be, I wanted to actually be an attorney. So there's mm. that. Um, but the other side is the more realistic side is if I stuck with culinary, I probably would have tried out for a food network show or something and been, been taking, been going down that road. So who knows? <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um, you still have a pretty good though. What is your favorite beverage for an evening on a back patio overlooking a beautiful golf course? Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm subscriber that bubbles are appropriate for everything. Um, and I do live in the middle of um, the country club's golf course. So I'm on hole seven and eight, seven, eight, and nine. <laughs> Not unusual to see bubbles, but a Negroni is also a good go-to. And then after a round, a cold beer. Perfect. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice you've received? Mm, probably, probably to listen more and talk less. Best advice for sure. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just kind of start at the beginning. Um, tell us a bit about your childhood. I'm sure you're, you know, a lot of your memories do include, include moments at the country club, but tell us your version of your childhood. Sure. Um, you know, we, I guess, as it relates to the country club, um, to give some background, it's probably sure. important to mention that my dad, was a chef at the country club, um, started as a teenager and met my mom here when she was also a teenager. So uh, they fell in love and got married and luckily had me. Uh, <laughs> and um, we, you know, my childhood memories include a lot of great things. We moved to the suburbs quickly when I was in first grade and, um, you know, it was a big dream for my parents to, to kind of get the house of their own in the suburbs. My dad grew up on a, kind of the outskirts of Boston um, and my mom grew up in Brookline, believe it or not, across from the country club. So okay. uh, she, she w agreed to do the whole suburb thing and got out there and, you know, pretty standard. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a normal kind of typical upbringing, great parents and, uh, a sister 13 months younger, but I will say, you know, tied into the funny part of the great story of my career is that many times it was, um, you know, my parents were very young. They were 21 when they had me and that we shared one car as a family. So we had to pick up dad from work. And oftentimes that was at the back loading dock at the country club. And my sister and I would sit on milk crates and be served peppermint stick ice cream with chocolate sauce, which is still very much a staple at the country club. Um, and one that I think 
other people have childhood memories of having for different reasons, but uh, I wouldn't eat it now if, if, you know, if you tried, because I think I got my overconsumption when I was younger. Um, but some of those other fond memories include around the holiday time, we do this huge gingerbread house um, for the display of the membership. And my dad would have us come into the bake shop and roll truffles around Christmas Eve because they'd have to do, you know, a thousand chocolate truffles. And so there is a picture in my office of my sister and I uh, with, um, paper hats on and just chocolate on our faces oh. stirring around a bowl in the old bake shop before the club went through a renovation. So um, even after you know, a few years after the US Amateur, they were going through the archives and someone pulled out a picture of my grandmother getting an autograph during the 1988 uh, US Open from a player who is still unnamed for some reason. But um, it's just things like that. There's definitely my my family lineage here, I guess, kind of exists yeah. in odd ways. But those are probably the memories that I would highlight, you know, for today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the club is very much a part of that childhood for sure. Not to mention like the employee skate night or the big pool party every year that we still do to this day for our employees. But those were magical days when I was a kid just to come and experience and see everyone that my dad spent so much time with. But it was very clear that TCC was a special place even at such a young age. Right, right. And, you know, that is such a fun thing about like, these country clubs that have been around for generations. It's like, I, you know, I have similar like memories at the club that I belong to in Toledo. And um, it's just, that's where so many of my memories take place. And I'm really lucky that that's where they took place. Um, but it is something special about a club and just like the way you look at it. It's certainly an escape from the real world. And yeah. All, but that's the reason for it. And, you know, now on the, you know, being a professional and, trying to lead one. That's another thing through a pandemic. You just, you, we couldn't lose sight that we were here to be an escape from what was going on, um, you know, yeah. in a safe way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were surrounded by a beautiful golf course. Did you grow up playing golf at all? So my first shot at golf, my dad played on some like the employee Mondays sporadically. He was a bigger hockey player on Monday nights um, in softball on Monday I get that. kind of thing. But he, um, I think it wasn't really a family influence, to be honest. It was a curiosity from being around TCC, I think, in a very indirect way. So when I was 12 in junior high, a small group of us got together with a, sci a science teacher who was trying to get a golf program off the ground in my suburb, kind of local public course. And we went out for a few loops. And I remember I was upset because I had a day bag. It wasn't like the real thing. And But my parents weren't going to invest in anything until they knew that this was going to stick. And, you know, I'd say we dabbled a little bit at that age, um, never in a formal program or camp or anything like that, which I think is more accessible now anyway for everyone. Um, sure. But I do think that it, it was later on in my 20s, for sure. It was post um, post college graduation when I really fell into this and really started buying into what this industry was all about that I, um, I really made a commitment to to playing. I'm too competitive that I'm never going to be happy with where I'm at. I will say my handicap was very different before I had two children, but sure. <laughs> I'm working to get that back because they're old enough to play now with me. So um, I think like that's what's fun about golf. It's one, it's one of those sports that you you can kind of pick back up and I don't know, it's almost like you can turn the faucet off and on with how often you're out there and never feel 
once you do it, it's not like you would ever feel uncomfortable going back into it, I guess, is my view on it. But yeah, it's a great point. And I love that you started kind of uh, in your young professional age, because that's what a lot of For the Ladies is all about is for women who didn't maybe pick it up when they were younger, or as much, maybe they played once or twice with their dad, but now they want to get into it. So you're, you're perfect. <laughs> a big fan of what you're, what you're doing with that, believe me. So <laughs> at student level, I'm trying to get that across. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, well, I saw, I, I believe you went to Johnson and Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. I used to live there. I loved Providence. So I was like, oh, I know that school, <laughs> um, which does have an amazing culinary program. I'm, is that why you went there? Did you seek that out? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, when I was 16 years old, I, for Christmas, I asked for a knife set. So that gives you the perspective of how deep into culinary I was. I, yeah. I actually competed um, for culinary competitions starting in high school. So it was a pretty serious path that I was on with that. Um, and I think that's, you know, part of my story is that this definitely was an unplanned career path, but obviously it's worked out. Um, so we, when I was looking at culinary schools, it was a firm culinary track and Johnson and Wales, my only regret is that I didn't live further away from home. I, I really mm. wish the Denver campus was open at the time or that I had picked up and, and left for a little while, but um, I've learned to appreciate my choices, so I won't have too much regret there. I'll just live vicariously through my children or travel more. <laughs> well, and Providence has turned into like an amazing town now. It's, it's a very different city than when I was there. Yes, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it because it even was a different city from when I first moved there to moved right. away. So yeah, I loved it there. Um, and I think like what a cool program and what a cool place for it to all be. Um, and and you know I think it you should answer this more, but in my mind, culinary arts and just like culinary, um, you know, business in general is a lot about like that hospitality and serving people and giving them a good experience. So I'm sure that that did end up translating quite a bit in your, no, totally. in your current role. When I was going to culinary school, it, the world of chefs and the food network was really just ramping up. Right. Mm. So it was, it no longer, by the time I graduated, you couldn't be someone who just stayed in the kitchen. I mean, you had to be the person who was going to be out in your dining room or, you know, and you take it to club level now, look at how many chefs are, you know, on, on a club's Instagram page or on yeah. a website and shooting a video and doing a recipe of the month or newsletters and things like that. So it's definitely though that industry has evolved so much over time, but you're right. I mean, I definitely, I had the gift of gab in the back of the house too. And so that did translate well uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> up front, but it was, um, I always, I, because I thought I wanted to own a restaurant of my own. I definitely, I, I definitely took it important. I took it seriously that I needed to know both the business side, the culinary side and the front of the house hospitality and the thing. So, um, knowing that combination was critical. I think it naturally fell into where I am today for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think all of our experiences, whether we realize it at the time or not, are always leading to what we're going to be doing in the long term. So, but to kind of transition into that, um, you did mention in an interview that you didn't necessarily sign up wanting to be a GM for a club, but your career has progressed from being the assistant manager to GM and COO. For those who don't know, and it is really nicely represented online, so congratulations, but um, <laughs> do you mind sharing a bit of your career story at TCC? Not at all. Um, it's it's a unique one, I think, in the sense that, especially this day and age, which we can talk about in a little bit, but um, 
you know, when I graduated at college, it was, um, I was on that firm culinary track until about junior year. I made a switch from doing just a bachelor's in culinary to getting the business side in, in hospitality business degree um, for the last two years. And making that switch definitely just kind of opened up my mind to options. And I actually had a job fall through because I graduated right shortly after 9-11. So okay. the economy was suffering. People were kind of panicking and pulling out on projects. That's exactly what happened with my opportunity. Um, it was supposed to be in Connecticut. And I, you know, I'm a pretty organized person, a little type A in there. And it was probably worse back then. Um, but I <laughs> learned to, I've learned to kind of roll with the punches a lot, a lot more at this point in my life. But um, I was really, I mean, that, that broke me in a lot of ways. And in sure. a strange way, it's very relatable to a lot of the, a lot of students who have gone through um, graduation and trying to figure out what to do in the middle of a pandemic. And sometimes that's the best time that opportunities open up. And for me, it was no different. It's a different kind of story, but my dad's advice was to sit down with um, David Shag, who is the GM before me. And um, I did that. And he said, you know, you've learned the front of the house. You're obviously interested in the business side. You have the culinary. Would you ever be interested in this management, you know, manager and training program? It's an opportunity. You've had something fall through. And to be honest, the last thing I wanted to do was come back to the country club because I had kind of, I worked through high school here. I dabbled a little bit through college, even though I, it was really important to me to work at other places, which I did that. I worked at a lot of restaurants um, to get the experience, but we, I, I, you know, I was just in this position where I knew this was a great opportunity. What a person to have an opportunity to work for. And I was, I was open and kind of willing and ready to try anything at that point. Um, and so it was very front of the house focused with uh, learning how to run events and really like the logistics of event planning and then dining rooms and eventually adding in finance and then communications and a little HR. And all of a sudden the net was casting wider and wider and wider. Um, and in 2007 or around that time or a little earlier, sorry, 2006, we needed a communications department because all of a sudden mm -hmm. online reservations and websites were something that members were looking for. And so yeah. uh, Mr. Shag, David had given me an opportunity to go into that role. And our deal was for one year because I wasn't a desk person and I wasn't sure. looking to be behind a desk all day. And I worked with the rackets department, our tennis pro at the time. I worked with Brendan Walsh, our golf professional at the time. And we started exploring, I got to work with all of, you know, our curling professional and a lot of the athletics and then learned more about kind of the business side of things with how this would integrate with reservation platforms and policies and got to know more and more about the club. And it was very clear to me that at that one year mark, I, I was definitely going to pursue club management. Um, and I was looking for that next step in my career. And fortunately for me, the clubhouse manager at the time had had an opportunity to come up about a week after I told Mr. Shag that I was ready to go out wow. and interview. And so he gave me a shot at clubhouse manager. And from that point forward, I think that's when he saw that there was potential there. I realized I had such a passion for not just one niche at the club, but the fact that it was so many different professionals to work with and learn from on a daily basis. And um, we we really just started tracking it towards you're good, if you want to be a GM of a club, here's what you need to do. And that was the beginning of really kind of the second half of, of what the story is. But <laughs> That's amazing. And I feel like you, you must have a good sense of like curiosity, a good sense of like how or why do things work the way they do? Because it, I mean, I try to envision myself, I'm a communications professional. And if I was like, oh, well, I want to go see how they do it in the kitchen, I would, I would just be like so lost and confused. But 
if it seems like you had this sense of curiosity and then also like achievement, you wanted to succeed in solving that problem of bringing, you know, online reservations and communications to the, to the membership. Do you feel like that's something that is ingrained in you, that sense of curiosity? Yes. I think, I think there's a can do attitude in here for sure. Um, And I think that, um, I definitely have a, a major, it's so funny because I don't, I don't reflect back on like sitting behind a desk in school as the best thing that I was ever doing in my life. Sure. I didn't love that. But apparently I'm a person who, I mean, I crave learning more. The more that I'm being pushed, the more that I'm being challenged. Um, that back then, did I see myself out on a golf course with Dave Johnson, our director of grounds, you know, 90 minutes a week talking about grass types and soils and all of it? No, but I, you know, he says I'm, I'm, he says I'm one of his better students, but (laughs) those are the types of things that you just go, yeah, yeah, the curiosity and the desire to just do more. And like, I think the wider, my eyes just kept widening and widening and seeing that this was, this was endless and how much I could learn and how much I could develop and how much I could be helpful to other people, um, whether it be in the hospitality type way, or now with those fellow professionals that I just named being an advocate for them and making sure that, you know, what, what they need in the operation and to be successful at their job, my job is to, to help and help make that happen for them. And so I think you start to take that responsibility on very seriously um, over time, but no doubt it comes from a place of probably curiosity and just a, a desire to know as much as possible and continue to learn for sure. I love it. And is that something that you learned from David or do you feel like that's something you just have yourself and maybe he brought that out of you in a way? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, to be able to identify potential in someone, they have to have some natural traits, right? Um, I think for David though, it's, um, and as I said, you know, to be here for 33 years as a general manager or in any club, that's quite a success story in itself. But to name your successor and have them prepared and ready to take on the role, I mean, that's, he's a legacy. And it's just like that, or that's a legacy. It's, it's yeah. something that is so amazing. It's so amazing, but it's such a positive thing for the industry at large to see something like that happen. Um, and I do, he deserves all the credit in the world for that. He identified potential, but then he moved, when we went to assistant GM, he, he called it acting GM. And to change that A, psychologically what that did for me and psychologically what it did for others, but also to practice that way, it set a very different tone and standard and accountability for me to make sure that I was achieving those goals. But as a mentor, I wanted to also make him really proud. And I also, as a goal setter or, you know, someone who's goal oriented, it was, you know, if I said I was going to do it at the beginning of the year, it better have been done by the end of the year kind of thing. So I think when you get a great combination of someone who is constantly pushing an operation after being here for 33 years to continue to challenge, like, hey, what could we do better? You know, that was always a question that he would ask in weekly meetings. And I think to set that tone and to have someone pushing you and identify the potential and and not let me ever get comfortable with where my limits were, right when I was on that tipping point of probably like, you know, is she going to get this or not? He'd push a little harder. And that's probably, you know, my response is, is definitely what's helped prepare me for, for where I am today. No doubt. I mean, right. I think it's a combination of the two for sure. Yeah. And how do you then pay that mentorship forward since it has benefited you so, so well? Yeah. I mean, I think I have a major, um, I have a major, you know, benefit of, of having experienced it firsthand. I think it's, 
you know, I was recently talking to someone on the management team who's in, you know, a little more of a senior position. And I, I, you know, he joked and said, why do you think I'm here after a conversation of, I've, you know, I've done this, I'm, I'm going, I would like to see you in that same position. And so you, because I've experienced it firsthand, I feel like I have the tools, but it also, it needs my time too. And sure. patience and you need to nurture it. And I think when you've, when I've been rewarded the way that I have with my story and the people who have been involved in my life that have kind of put me on track to where I am, um, you feel a responsibility and it's truly, it's in my heart to watch other people succeed and make them the best they can too. So I think it, it, it comes naturally, but no doubt that's what fuels me. It's, you know, whether it's the membership satisfaction and the bond that exists there or the staff development and the bond that exists there. It's, I mean, that, those are the things that, that's why we do what we do. I mean, that's why I love what I do. Right. right. <laughs> that's the most rewarding part. It's definitely a people business, whether it's working with the membership or your staff. So it makes sense. Um, well, obviously every day is very different in your role. You know, talking about one day you're looking at like soil and grass complex and the other day you're managing stuff in house. I'm, I guess I don't, I don't really need to ask you like, how is it that way? But what, what makes that interesting to you? Um, and, you know, if, for, if somebody wanted to be in a role similar to this, how would you prepare them for dealing with a day that is different every time you walk in the door? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely a personality type. You can't, um, if you make a list of what you want to get, what you want to achieve today, chances are nothing on that list are going to get accomplished on the day to day. Right. So there's a lot, that's the day to day. And um, I will say my personality over time and what I've learned is why I couldn't just probably stay in a culinary track was because Mm. I had this desire to be doing something different all the time. Right. So a construction meeting in the morning and a golf course, walk around to talk about soil and then Mm -hmm. a planning meeting. And, you know, yes, it's a lot of meetings, but even just to walk around and make sure that you're kind of saying hello to people. Those are the things that make me tick. It's what makes a long day go by really quickly. And there's an energy that comes with that change of pace all day. And so I think there's a little bit of like, you're wired that way. And that's what attracts you to the position. But I think if I were giving advice to anyone that was looking to track this and curious about that, I think that it is all about attitude and just a willingness to, to learn and try anything and also be receptive to, if I hadn't gone into that communications role on assignment, right. For the one year, I'm not sure that all of the other doors would have opened. I'm not sure that I would have been here today. And so that's something that, especially talking to younger professionals, it's not common to see someone stay in the same place for a long time, but what made it easy was that every year was so different and every day is so different. And I think that that's important that if, if you do find yourself in an environment where someone's giving you an opportunity to try something new all the time, that's, that's a, that could be the opportunity that makes a difference for the rest of your career. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I personally, um, I have worked at companies where I wish I, like I would have stayed, but there was like a new opportunity elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's wonderful to be able to kind of find something within a place you love. Cause then you're just learning, you're allowing yourself to develop professionally still as well. Um, well, when did you realize that working in the golf industry was something you could be passionate about? Um, because although it is a lot of hospitality, TCC is such a renowned club and people respect and love that they're members there and getting the opportunity to play there. So you do have to have a little bit of that, that love for golf too. 
for sure, for sure, especially at TCC. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't read your books and know the stories here, you, you're, you're not going to do, you're not going to succeed. You need right. a statue behind you with a golfer. Like these yeah. are little things. Um, I, you know, I have to say early on when I was going into that manager and training mode and learning how to run events, my favorite events at the time were golf tournaments. I mm. think it was just so cool to see. Um, and I remember really early on, I want to say in 2003, maybe it was, um, uh, mass am the Massachusetts state amateur was held okay. at the club. And I think learning about the logistics there and then seeing, seeing the story, I mean, the feel good story of the winner and who's crowned as a champion for that. And, um, it was, that was probably my first peek into it. And I was intrigued. Um, I would say there are different phases. I went through that obviously, as I got, got a little more responsibility and in, in coordinating, um, different types of tournaments and, and seeing international relationships that came with that. And just mm. obviously knowing the history of the club and the responsibility to the game and buying into everything, you know, being one of the, one of the original founding members of the USGA. I mean, you take that, it starts to become part of, you know, what you truly like your core beliefs and values and really carry that, carry that through with just, you know, what the, what the club is all about when it, as it talks about golf and history, but the big light bulb for me, honestly, was 2013 when we got, you know, we had a championship here and um, experiencing that and what it did for the membership and bringing them together, what it did for bringing the staff together, what it did for bringing the staff and the membership sweeping cart barns at, you know, 9 p.m. <laughs> after a 5 a.m. day and seeing that bond and camaraderie and, you know, working with the USGA on the whole planning end of things and, um, the local community and what it did for just the electricity that the, the, the came onto the property and um, watching the weather and wondering, you know, Francis's house is still across the street here. And it was August and it was 76 degrees and sunny and 50 degrees at night, which is like, and you know, any, any superintendent's dream come true as far as right. temperatures go. But for the Boston area in August, it was unheard of. And you just, <laughs> It was magical. I mean, and I think for me, I remember on one of the one of the nights, um, bringing the two finalists down to Fenway and kind of driving back and reflecting and just thinking, I'm so sure that I want to be part of. And at the time, I didn't know it was going to be TCC, but I definitely that that experience just confirmed that I wanted to be at a certain type of club. And that was one that hosted major championships. And sure. I liked being part of that part of that game. And um, yeah, I think so I look at it in a few different phases of when it really hit me that golf was something that I needed to be part of. <laughs> yeah. And golf can be a little bit intimidating, though, as well, especially when it comes to just learning. There's so many etiquette things and intricacies yeah. and the rules and and, and so many unwritten rules as well. Um, how important is it for you and like your staff to, to know the sport if maybe they didn't play it growing up? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, it's critical. Uh, it's sure. part, of, part of being on the management team here is that we play golf with each other. If we can sneak out at a normal, you know, a normal time, especially we love it in July and August because or July, at least it's, it's like, light out for a really long time. So yeah. <laughs> even if you can get out at, you know, 630 at night, and if you get nine holes in and still get home when the sun is setting, it's pretty awesome. Um, and we're fortunate enough that the club is pretty quiet in those months. So sure. um, it, people don't realize that, but it's part of our culture and development and planning. Like if it's golf season, you know, I encourage people to, if they can take lessons, great. If they can't, it's all about just getting comfortable. 
We, with our internship program, we make sure that they play um, out on our prim course, even if they've never picked up a club before, just to break the ice for them. And I think a lot of times with the game, you know, I hear you on the etiquette and all of the things that seem so intimidating from the outside, but I, you know, I feel it's my job to at least help people understand that they don't have to know all of those things right sure. out of the gate either. It takes a long time to learn all of those nuances and it's truly about being outdoors and here we walk the course. I mean, it's not there. We don't, you know, the club doesn't have carts, So um, it doesn't say now when we go to other cart places to play, we enjoy that element, but to be here and just kind of be in nature outside, take it in. It's quiet around you play the game and in a relaxed setting, it's just such a nice way to introduce people into the game. That's different from the high pressure situation of like the first time you're ever going to play as a tournament. Right. So (laughs) I just think it's, I, I don't know. I think most people get introduced. I always hope if they're going to play in a tournament, it's a scramble format. I just always think there are certain formats that are more obviously, well, everyone knows that are just more welcoming, but with our, our team, there's definitely an understanding that you play golf and, you know, for young women in particular, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this on for the ladies, I, it's a big thing that I focus on when I go as a guest speaker to colleges. And Mm. if, if they're club management chapters, or if we're talking to students at an an annual conference, I think it's, it's a really big deal. And it's something that um, David Shag did ingrain in me. And I believe it. I mean, it's in my heart that to play the game in any business is valuable, but to be in clubs for sure, especially TCC. I mean, People ask me all the time, they're like, I didn't really, you know, members might say, I didn't realize you played. And you go, I'm not sure I would have got this job if I didn't, if I wasn't confident enough to pick up a club every once in a while. But um, and, and to me, it's just so wild that anyone would think that I, that I didn't, but, um, yeah. but I think that's part of it. It's, it's a nice surprise. It's always a pleasant surprise when, when people learn that about you. And I think that that's really I don't know. It's beneficial in every industry, I guess, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're never going to, you're not going to be able to like learn those unwritten rules and etiquette if you don't just like go out and give it a shot. Like you're not going to learn it all like before you go out for the first time. So you have to kind of just like you said, put a club in a hand um, and get them out there enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. But for those of us who do play, I, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure we get others to play too. And I love I love what I'm seeing in particular, specifically with women, even on our membership side, it's how do you make this more of a social so that it's really welcoming and I'm, you know, I'm totally on board. I think it's awesome. It's a good thing. Thanks for you guys. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, you obviously have um, a lot of exciting things coming to the club, um, but TCC also has this amazing rich history. So how do you manage, you know, evolution and offering new exciting things for your members while also maintaining that rich history that you kind of talked about earlier? Yeah, there's um, there's a quote from a former club treasurer that I used in my interview, and I think it just when he said it to me, I went, "Wow, what a what a way to sum up you really what TCC is all about." But um, he said, "Unchanging values in change in a changing environment," and I just went, you know, it makes you stop. And I think part of what's so great about the country club is that it knows who it is. It's an old club. It's, it's established. It knows its identity. It's so rich in traditions and history. Um, but it's never stood still. And that goes back to my earlier comments about how I always feel challenged at TCC because we push forward and how you balance that 
the traditions and history with modern day, you know, whether it's services or yeah. amenities or programs is really critical to your club's success. And, um, you know, this, the leadership here with the board of governors and, you know, the club presidents over time have never rested on their laurels and really just said, well, we have the history, we're good. Um, yeah. They were fine to introduce, you know, whether it's a dining trend or a new, you know, or new golf program or different types of clinics that might exist or, um, you know, everything in all of the sporting areas, introducing fitness at some point, like that was a big deal for this club. And I think when you look at it over time, part of, you know, part of knowing who you are is, is, is such a major factor in getting to where you're going. Right. And so I think that, I think that the leadership here has always fortunately been very supportive of what do we need to be thinking about in the future? How do we remain relevant? And, you know, hosting major championships as, you know, as a founding member of the USGA is definitely goes right back to that, you know, some of the core values and mission of the country club of, we want, we want to stay with our traditions and history. And by doing that, we want to host major championships. So um, whether it's something more current, like the 2022 US Open or something that we've done in a dining room at one point with opening up a library bar, I think that those, they all speak to the same kind of leadership theme and ability to, to, move, to move forward, but not forget who, who you are or what you're about. I think that that's been, that's been a really impressive um, balance or, you know, thing that this club has been able to achieve. I love that. We hear that a lot with, you know, with brands and making sure you know, like your mission statement and who you are, but it's just as important for a club. And I like that. That's so interesting. Well, um, you did mention the 2022 U.S. Open, so we have to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I'm certainly excited to get to the country club, and I'm sure the club is ecstatic for it to be just a year away at this point. I'm There is so much that goes into a major championship, right? And for you guys, it's years upon years of development. For the USGA, it's also years and years upon planning, but... Um, what goes on, I guess, at a, at a club that's going to welcome a major championship? Yeah, if, today, if I were looking in the rearview mirror, it's almost impossible. Like, it's hard to reflect on all of the things that have gone on. Up to yeah. this point, but um, because we're so in the thick of it and not really, we will be right after Tory, no doubt. But yeah. <laughs> um, we're getting close to that one year mark. So things are certainly starting to ramp up. I would, you know, I'd be remiss if I and talk about the, the golf course and the work that has taken place over the last, you know, two or three years um, leading up to the championship and the work of having Gil Hans out here and, you know, mm -hmm. redesigning the 12th hole, our par three, that's going to make its first appearance in a major championship um, in the new course routing. I mean, it's a lot of excitement. Dave Johnson and his team working with Gil and um, seeing just, you know, new tees being designed, a green expansions, a lot of bunker work that's gone on. Um, and now we're, we're calling this our year of the dress rehearsal and the practices that are going out, on out there every day, every day from an agronomic standpoint. Um, it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, yeah. it's, we're, we're definitely, you can see the excitement probably starting to set in here. Um, in a recent meeting, one of the USGA leaders just said, you know, come July to next June, it's a grind. And it's almost like when you're, when you're this excited and passionate about it, you welcome that grind. But sure. for us, I mean, for me specifically, it's, 
Um, you know, oftentimes I'm a conduit of communication and making sure that everyone kind of the right hand knows what the left hand is doing and whether it's with the USGA or from a local community standpoint and what we're doing around it, the planning so far has really been outside of TCC's property, right? So yeah. um, that's where most of the efforts are, are focused. And I think on the other side of, you know, June 19th this year, it'll start to ramp up where it's going to get closer and closer. And then soon enough, we'll be kind of in the eye of the storm and things will be happening on property. But um, my role specifically has definitely been with a lot of capital improvements around the golf mm. course or road work and things that infrastructure here. Um, and in looking forward, it's definitely on keeping the communication going both to our membership, our staff, um, defining expectations for our membership and staff and kind sure. of going the logistics in the day to day. And then um, I think the, the community piece is huge. You know, what we what we're doing for the local community and really um, you know, there, there are hot topics in there that, that are common themes in every community that I think this championship goes to, but uh, no doubt we're going to, we just want to make sure that we come out of this at the end and ev everyone's just really proud of, of what we put on, not only for the country club, but for the town of Brookline and for the sure. whole Northeast region. I mean, there's so much pent up demand to be in this area of the United States and not to mention to be after, unfortunately, what's happened with the pandemic in the last few U.S opens um it's going to be awesome I, we're really we are very excited about about this open coming well and boston is such a sports town like it. It, it, i cannot wait i yeah. just I, you know i love like i love going to sporting events in the boston area and being able to go to a major golf one in the boston area is going to be amazing <laughs> you nailed it i mean everyone you 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 hit it it's boston <laughs> town i usually don't have to say anything right people are waiting they they're uh the excitement is real and um yeah I can't wait it's going to be here before we know it <laughs> yes well I have next on my list what's next for you but it's like you're in the you're in the heat of what's next so <laughs> but is there anything I guess aside from the U.S. Open though are there things that you're excited for with the club and the membership and things you're things that you're offering and developing no, absolutely. I mean, I'm new in my role. And the funny thing sure. is, I've been here so long, but yeah. to be in the position and still make sure that I'm pushing myself to that I have my own signature on things. Um, I would say our own kind of internal team development and some of the things that are coming up that I kind of put in the post open basket for now, if you will. Sure. Uh, we have we have major capital projects coming up on the other side of this where you know we're going to need to address a clubhouse project we have a sustainability committee that is making you know a lot of progress and that will no doubt set initiatives for us going forward as a club and so those again are new projects that i will continue to learn from um but you know and i'd be remiss, be remiss if i didn't say after hosting major championship you know at some point we're going to we're hopeful that there's another championship in our future. And, and right. that, you know, that fuels me and I get excited about what might be next on the other side of the open too. So um, no, there'll be plenty. As I said, this club does not stand still, <laughs> but it's, you know, there's always something exciting in every year. Yes, it's a lot and it's a busy place, but um, it's so rewarding just to, to have these little wins and major successes along the way. It's, it's really exciting for everyone who's here, so. Love it. Well, the last question I ask everyone who comes on the Ladies of Golf podcast is what advice do you have for women who want to pick up the game themselves? I mean, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, my advice is find someone who you're comfortable with that's willing to take, that will take you out. I mean, I mm -hmm. think it's, 
you have to be comfortable with the people you're with um, first yeah. when you're starting out. I think that that's huge. Um, but I mean, there's no better time than now. It's 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 a very it's an awesome game. I just I wish that I wish that there was no intimidating factor when it came to the game of golf. But I I would just tell those women don't be intimidated about not having the equipment or any of that. I think you know if there's a resource, if you have anyone in your life who plays, they're a right resource to get you all of what you need. But um, even if it's just at a driving range or a, a short game facility and just practicing around and getting the club in your hand, but make the most of it when you're out there and. And what I would tell those women is as soon as you fall in love with it, because it's inevitable that you will create a social, social women's group that's going to do it with you. Right. <laughs> Block right. the time on your calendar and make it happen because it's, you know, it is a different kind of girls night out. That's how I describe it. When you can get a, a group of women to play together, it's, it's awesome. So um, that would be my advice is just don't talk about it, do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Thank you, Abby. And it was a great opportunity. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For the Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E. Thank you.